Oh, too good. Hey, we are so excited to have you here on Sunday with Beyond. Hey, how exciting. This is a whole new way of doing church. Uh, and it's, it's a time for us to get really creative and innovative. At the same time, we just want to say thank you to some of our awesome Beyond leaders who have been on board in helping make this happen uh, in the circumstances that, that have been happening. But we're really excited uh, to actually be able to do church with you in a completely kind of new and innovative way. Uh, at the same time during this time, uh, I guess we just want to say thank you uh, to our community as well. If you're watching for the first time, we love to say every time uh, when we come together as a community at Beyond that whether it's your first time, second time, third time or 100th time, we are so glad that you are here. So we're so glad to have you on board as we do Beyond Online for the very first time. But hey, if you're just jumping in for this Sunday, if you missed out on last week, uh, don't threat. Don't fear. We are actually in the middle of a series right now. In fact, we're in part two of a series called Address the Mess. Uh, and if you didn't catch us last Sunday when we met at Beyond, well, guess what? You're going to get a catch up today uh, as we jump into part two of Address the Mess, where really we were kind of looking at this idea that in the messiness of life, if there is a messy stain on your life, if there's a mark that you just haven't been able to get rid of, if you've ever had to ask the question of what I'm going to do after you made a big mistake or a big mess, then this series is for you. If you're the type of person uh, like this, then we want to start this conversation with you today around how to go about addressing the mess. Because here's what we said last week, just in a super quick little recap. We said it is well known that you don't have to be a Christian, that you don't have to be a church person to know this fact, or more so to resonate with this statement, that nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we know that not just because uh, the world's best renowned philosopher and lyricist, Hannah Montana, told us this. We know this because it's a true fact that as humans, we don't exactly hit the mark every time. But, but there is some good news in this for those of us whose, whose messy life is just far too messy to fix. Because we said that once we acknowledge our messes, once we acknowledge our messes, we are a baby step away from acknowledging God. That by first acknowledging your mess, by first identifying some of the things that you have going on in your life that just seem almost impossible to fix, when we identify those things and when we acknowledge those things, we have this awesome opportunity to see God in a whole new way, in a whole new light. We have an opportunity to see God. We'd love to jump into that conversation with you really soon. But before we do that, I've got a question for you. And the question is this, have you ever had a restless kind of sleep at night before? Have you ever had one of those sleeps where you've tried to go to bed and, and you're just kind of laying down, you're thinking about everything and everything that's either happened that day or needs to happen tomorrow morning? I had this exact experience when I was 15, uh, and that's important information uh, for you to know because you might remember if you were ever a 15-year-old male, I won't get you to put your hands up, or, or maybe you're actually a female. So Maybe that doesn't actually account for you, but if you've ever been a 15-year-old male before or someone who's just really hungry, then you would know that when you go through adolescence, there's a stage in your life, no matter what age you're at now, if you're past the age of 15, you know there's a stage in your adolescence life where you just cannot stop eating. You see, when I was 15, I was going through this 12-month phase of living off mac and cheese, of living off uh, mac and cheese and me garangs squashed together. I pretty much had my five essential kind of foods all packed into one that was chalky milk, chicken nuggets, leftovers, a lot of potatoes, any meal that could be prepped in under 10 minutes with minimal effort, and then more leftovers. That was kind of my food pyramid. That's what I was kind of playing off. And on this night, on this night in particular, why I talk about restless sleeps is because I was having a restless sleep one night where I had just tucked into too much food and my mind was restless. My tummy was trying to digest all this stuff and I couldn't sleep. 
So I came up with this ingenious idea to get all this energy out of my system to try and burn off some energy. So I decided that this night in particular, that I'd jump off out of my bed onto my feet and I decided I'd burn this energy off by lifting some weights. So I kind of got my jammies on uh, and I decided that I would go outside and I'd find the weights that I had in my house. Let me just get my my sleeping gown on. Uh, and this is just a reminder again that this is a sleeping gown. This isn't a sleeping robe. Uh, sleeping robe are for boys. Sleeping gowns are for men. And I got my sleeping gown on and I made my way outside because I had to make my way outside. I don't even think I can get this thing on, but I made my way outside at night to go find my two five kilogram weights that I had. And I don't know if you have gym equipment in your house that's just been sitting there. You actually don't know how this gym equipment got into your house, but it just sits in your house. No one actually uses it. Got no idea how it's got there. Well, I had these two dumbbells at my house that were always just sitting outside. And I was like, this is how I'm going to burn off my energy. So in my sleeping gown, I made myself, I made my way outside. I went and found these two five kilogram weights and Listen, I don't have those two five kilogram weights with me anymore, but I do have two three kilos and that makes six kilos. But on this night, I had 10 kilos in my hand and I decided that I'd walk back inside and I'd just start doing some bicep curls just to burn off some energy. And you see, I started to feel pretty good. In fact, after I got some bicep curls in, I started just doing some lunges with my bicep curls. In fact, I realized that this exercise actually needed a little bit more. So with my two five kilos together, I made one giant 10 kilo dumbbell and I did my lunges up and down the hallway, throwing in some calf raises as I was going. But you see, as I was doing my lunges down the hallway, all of a sudden I heard this loud thud. This loud thud. And that's when I knew that something bad had happened. You see, I put my weights to the ground and slowly I came closer to the wall. I ended up going and grabbing my phone light. And it was at that point that as I put my light up to the wall, I had seen the mess that I had made. In this stage, I felt like I was the Hulk. But in this moment, I had made this terrible, terrible mistake. This nightmare had happened as I slowly took one of the dumbbells out of the wall and now I won't exaggerate how big the hole was that I left in the hallway wall, but it was enough that when I put my phone light on it, it seemed somewhat repairable. It seemed somewhat repairable. And quickly, I went to every teenager's best friend when they make a mistake or make a mess on anything. And so slowly, slowly, I began to apply wide-out correction tape to this hole on my beige-colored hallway wall of my family's rental property. And I thought I was so clever. Genius. But this is how we deal with a mess, right? Because the mess was hidden, the mess was avoided, and the mess was DIY fixed by me. And to be honest, I, I honestly thought that I had fixed this mess until I woke up to a mother, a mother's kind of look. I don't know if you've ever had this before with a parent. If you ever remember a parent just looking at you and it's like they can just see everything. They can see right through this look from my mum who came up to me and marched me out to my mess that I had made on this wall to ask me this question of what did you do? But as some people know, we've got some pretty kind of classic, pretty kind of natural default responses to addressing mess. And in, for me, in this moment, it was to, to quickly fix the mess. But maybe for you, you know in your life that, that one of the ways that you go about addressing mess, one of the ways that you kind of fall back on addressing mess, your default strategy is to do this. When you see a mess or you make a physical mess, you decide that you need to hide the mess. 
you decide you need to hide the mess. If your home is messy and people are coming over, if the kitchen sink is full or there's a stain on the carpet, you can hide a mess. You can put a tea towel over a mess. You can put a bed sheet over a mess. You can shove things into the cupboard. You can stuff things underneath your bed or underneath your bed or underneath your lounge. You can put things in the garage. Some of us try to address the mess by hiding the mess. For some of us, though, for some of us, we take a different approach. We take a more crafty approach, we'd say. We actually go about addressing the mess by avoiding the mess. It's crafty because we just walk past it. Some of us are less likely to hide. No, some of us instead lean towards avoiding the mess. When it comes to things like our bedroom, the back of our car, it's just filled with mess. There are things in your bedroom and car that you don't even know how they got into your bedroom and car. You would see this if you have kids, if you've ever left a lunchbox in your bag over a a holiday break, if you have had a child who's ever avoided dealing with their mess by leaving a lunchbox in their bag over a weekend, you know that mess gets worse and worse. Or maybe you're even worse than a messy person who just avoids. Maybe you're a messy perfectionist. And why I say they're worse, well, a messy perfectionist, a messy perfectionist can't stand that their mess is so imperfectly messy that the idea of ever starting to clean the mess makes them think that their car will never be perfect looking and therefore they never actually address the mess because it's easy to avoid. And you see the third way, the third way some of us go about addressing the mess is by DIYing the mess. They do a DIY job on the mess. And this is another way we deal with mess, and it's a proud way of doing it if you can. See, the DIY fix, the DIY fix is, that it is a you-yourself job. Where we make a mess of something, we broke something of mum and dad, so we got the glue out. You burnt something in the kitchen, so you just scraped the charcoal off. The DIY job is using correction tape, thinking it's all hidden, that I'll address the mess this way by rescuing myself. It's this lone ranger effort. And, and to, be, to be fair, all three of these ways, all three of these ways are ways that we could easily respond to physical messes, physical mistakes and small whoopsie-doopsies and accidents that we look back on. And some of them are actually kind of a little bit funny, maybe. Why? Because the mess was hidden. The mess was avoided. The mess was DIY, fixed by you, fixed by me. But, but what about the, the big messes? What about the stuff that are like messes that we can't really just hide? What about the stuff like the messes that we can't just really avoid or just fix as that, in that quick uh, fixed moment? What about the messes where we actually approach something and we say, oh, I don't actually even know where to, where to start with this mess. Like I can't clean this up all by myself. And I want to be really clear now. I want to be really clear that we're now moving away from physical messes that, yes, maybe left a big stain, maybe left a big hole or a big mark. I want to talk to those of us who have made a mess of something in our life that was so big or right now feels so big that you're not sure it can ever be cleaned up. Maybe it's a financial mess that that you don't know where to even begin with it. Maybe it's an academic or or even in your professional life, there's a, there's a mess in there that you don't know how to fix, a relational mess with a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe even in the relationship of your, your home, even in your marriage that has left you feeling scared or is right now leaving you feel scared. Some type of mess with your family, with your kids, or, or even with your parents, a mess that keeps revisiting your mind. and You're just fine. You can't shake it. You see, this is a mess that maybe you actually have to put your hand up for. 
maybe this is a big mess that when you, when you actually spend some time to really think about it, it's easy to project it and kind of flick it onto other people and blame them. But at the end of the day, when you actually really have time to think about it, this is a mess that you have to put your hand up for because a big part of the reason it's so messy is because you were in it in the first place, that you ignored your conscience, that, that you didn't listen to your friend, that your ears were, were shut to the people that actually cared about you enough to, to tell you some truth and, and you just rejected what they were telling you. That there were things you knew you shouldn't have said. There were things that you knew you shouldn't have done. And as much as you'd love to hide that it ever happened or avoid ever addressing it, you know that the fault actually points back to you. In this moment, in these big messes, we can find ourselves actually saying, I can't, I can't clean this up all by myself. I actually don't know how to get past this one. And so the mess just kind of sits there and lingers. And that's why last week, that's why last week we challenged you to take on the task of stopping yourself, of stopping yourself from calling out and judging other people's messes before saying these words to yourself, that I know a mess when I see one because I am one. That before I go about judging everybody else's messes and what everyone else around me is doing wrong, that I actually need to say this to myself. This was our big application that Chris, one of our communicators, left with us last week, that we need to say, I know a mess when I see a mess because I am a mess. And that your mess, the mess you're in right now, like we said earlier, this is what we're revisiting in this conversation tonight, that your mess actually has the potential to bring God near to you in a way that you have never discovered before. See, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, in fact, one of the most well-known verses in the New Testament, that second part of the Bible that has a lot uh, of stories around uh, the story of Jesus's life. One of the most well-known verses that you might know, even if you're not a Christian or not a church person, you might have seen it on a decoration or a sign before, is a verse that was actually written in the account of John. And John was one of Jesus's disciples. So he got to see a fair bit of Jesus's life. But this is a very kind of famous verse. It's well-known. It's a verse, John 3, 16. And it reads like this. It reads, God so loved the world that God drew near to the world. That God so loved the world that God drew near to the world. That God loved the world so much, he gave his one and only son though that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In other words, John is saying this. John is saying that God so loved the messy world that God drew near to the messy world. And this verse alone, this verse alone kind of packages up the whole Christian faith so nicely, but it actually paints a better message the more you read on. See, we just read John 3.16, but if you jump and read on to John 3.17, and maybe you're reading along maybe with a Bible tonight, or you're taking some notes, check this bit out. Because if you read on from John 3.16 into John 3.17, we see this verse that I believe is actually a verse that we need to hear if we have ever made that big mess, that big mess that has left us asking, how will I ever move past? this. This verse that helps us understand how God introduces himself to us in the most personal way. That God so loved the messy world that God drew near to the messy world. As we read on, we see this is what John wrote in John 3:17 that God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
that God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus coming as fully God and fully man into the world, not to judge the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this is actually a big deal. This is a big deal depending on what type of experience you have had with church or Christian people before. Because I couldn't blame you if you've had an interaction with a Christian before, someone that's come up to you and they've judged you straight off the bat before even knowing you. They've told you what you should believe in without even asking what your name is or finding out more about you. I can totally understand whilst, while, why you push back. There I go. Why you push back to Christianity because of your experience with that Christian or with Christians. But we see in John 3, 17 that, that Jesus didn't come into the world to walk around and tell us like, wow, your life is a mess. Like you will not be able to fix that up. Like you're actually really terrible at your finances. You're not actually very good at your job. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. Like you don't know what you're doing with your life, do you? You don't really know how to do the whole relationship, whole friendship, whole family thing, do you? Like your friendships, you, you've got life so wrong. Like your family life is far more shocking than you actually think. You should feel really guilty for what you did. You feel You should feel a lot of shame for what, actually happened here's the crazy thing because god didn't write himself into the world to condemn you the crazy thing we need to realize and when i say we i'm really commenting on the christians who did who do this jesus jesus didn't come into the world with a sandwich board around his neck picking out the people who he thought weren't good enough he didn't write himself into the story to write himself into the world so he could go around scrutinizing and gossiping or bad, bad mouthing, or pushing people away because of their mess. But God, God through Jesus illustrated that God entering into the world, he came to save the world. He wrote himself into the story to be a rescuer. He came to rescue the world. God, not as this almighty or kind of controlling puppeteer, who is all about rules and highlighting your wrongs. No, God who wrote himself into the mess to rescue us from ourselves. Because if we were to be honest, we're actually behind a lot of our messes. Like sure, there's some things that involved other messy people, but if we were to be really honest, we're a little bit of a mess ourselves. And when you read, when you read the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, we call them the gospels. We see the nature. We see the nature of Jesus in a most intimate, passionate and personal way. And to share a couple of these, these moments and a couple of these stories with you. One day, one day, Jesus was in a temple. He was in a temple teaching. And then all of a sudden, a group of religious leaders came out dragging a woman. They threw the woman at Jesus's feet. And you see this lady, she had seriously messed up her life. The religious leaders grabbed her and brought her to Jesus because she had been caught in the act of adultery. She had been accused of adultery. You see, this woman, she's, she's messed up her marriage. She's messed up someone else's marriage. She lives in a small community. Everyone would have heard about what has happened. News would have gone out. She has completely destroyed her reputation because now everyone knows who she is and what she has done. She's fallen so far from the standard. And here she is thrown at Jesus' feet in front of a crowd. And the religious leaders are waiting for Jesus to condemn her. And the religious leaders, they, they literally have stones in their hand ready to execute her. Because at that time in history, that was the law. If you got caught in the act of adultery, it was punishable by death, punishable by stoning. And so Jesus has a conversation with the accusers. Was actually going down to kneel down next to this woman who would have felt so much shame and been completely caught out. Imagine how scary this would have been. 
And after this conversation that Jesus has as the accusers, uh, with the accusers, after this conversation, the accusers actually end up putting down their stones and they walk away. And Jesus, Jesus stands up and he says to this condemned woman who has totally messed up her life, he says to her, looking into her eyes, he says, look at me, look at me. I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. In other words, I'm not going to sentence you. I'm not going to judge you on what you deserve, which at the time, like we said, under Jewish law, adultery was punishable by stoning. No, Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you like other people would. No, Jesus said, look at me. Look at me and leave your messy life of sin. Leave the mess of your life that is tearing you apart and leaving you feeling so messy. See, another story. One day, one day, Jesus was walking with a crowd and it was a big crowd too. And as he's walking through this town and this big group of people, he looks up and he sees this fella in a tree. And this bloke in the tree, he was actually a small man. His name was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was up in the tree so he could actually see Jesus because he couldn't see over the shoulders of other people in his community. And as Jesus is walking through, he sees Zach. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. But what you need to know about Zach is that it was probably good for him to be up in this tree. You see, Zacchaeus was the type of man who probably would have needed bodyguards because of his profession and because of who he was. See, Zacchaeus was a tax collector within his community. He was a tax collector who was a greedy, greedy man. He would take money from people and he'd take their taxes and was enriching himself on the hardworking monies of the people in his community. And see, Zacchaeus, he got his wealth, but no one liked Zacchaeus. Like, I really can't stress this enough. This man was disliked and he would have been despised and probably pretty hated. And he would have known it too. See, Zacchaeus was a messy, messy little man. He would have been the scum of his community. And as Jesus is walking through this crowd, he sees Zacchaeus up in this tree, this messy man. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus, He says, Zacchaeus, come down to me. Come down to me. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm staying at your house. And Zacchaeus kind of caught out. He he comes down from the tree. He kind of wanted to see Jesus in the first place. And next minute, Jesus is at his house. They walk home and, and behind closed doors, Jesus pulls Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, I want you to live your messy, broken life. I want you to leave that life and follow me. And listen, Zacchaeus, Jesus says, you can't just walk away from this one. You can't just walk away from what you've done. You've got to pay these people back and you've got to pay them back with interest. And the New Testament tells us, the story of Zacchaeus tells us that that his life in that moment when he made a decision to follow Jesus, he didn't just experience life change. He experienced life transformation. His community saw him different because of what he did. He paid back his community with interest that was far beyond what the law even asked of him. You see, one day, one day, another story, Jesus was traveling past an area of country that he wasn't supposed to be in because Jesus was a Jew and he was moving through a part of country in Samaria and and Samaria, Samaritan land, uh, this was a place where Jews just didn't go because Samaritan and Jews, everyone knew this, they didn't get along. But Jesus was thirsty as he was traveling with his disciples. So he stopped at a well. And as he stopped at the well, his disciples go off. They, they head off to grab some food. Jesus stops by this well. He doesn't have a bucket to draw water with. But as he sits at this well in noon, it's scorching heat. Like this is the hottest part, one of the hottest parts of the world. In this heat, he sits at this well and he sees the silhouette of a Samaritan woman in the distance walking towards him. 
And as this Samaritan woman comes closer, we see that she has a bucket with her. She's ready to draw water from the well. But what's bizarre in this story is that this would have been a strange part of the day for the woman to be drawing water from the well. Normally the well would have been a social circle for other people in the community to come and collect their water. But you wouldn't come in the middle of the day when it was so hot. You see, the woman was coming in the middle of the day because she wanted to be hidden. She didn't want to be seen by the people around her. Why? Well, as Jesus engages in conversation with her by asking her for a drink, which in the first place, that never should have happened. A Jewish man talking to a woman would have been bizarre, but for a Jew and a Samaritan to be talking together, the Samaritan woman would have been so far taken back. That would have been so much. But we see in this conversation that Jesus learns more about this woman, that she actually had been married five times. And the person that she was with at that point, the man that she was with wasn't her husband. See, this woman was trying to fill up her bucket, trying to fill this void within her heart with these short-term relationships. And Jesus saw that and he knew that. But he also saw the fact that this Samaritan woman was an outcast of her community. And here she is sitting next to Jesus, this Jewish man. And in this moment, this shame-filled outcast has this conversation with Jesus and these are his words to this outcast. Jesus says, come close to me. Come close to me, knowing everything I do about you and knowing your story and what's been going on for you and how you've been trying to fill your bucket and this void within you. Come close to me and I will quench the thirst you've been trying to quench your entire life. And if there is one thing, if there is one thing we can take away from each of these ways that Jesus intimately engaged with these people, it's that he didn't push them away because of their mess. Jesus didn't push them away because of his mess, but no, Jesus drew near to every mess of each messy person. He says, look at me, come down to me, come close to me. Maybe the craziest story out of all of them, the one conversation, the one exchange that makes the least amount of sense out of all the conversations Jesus had with people was the one that he had with his other mess of a man. This man who had messed his life up so much that he had uh, been arrested. He had been arrested and because of the mess he created, he wasn't even trusted to serve as a prisoner. His only use, the only thing he could do with his life was to serve as an example to other people of what happens to messy, evil people. You see, this man, he had been condemned to die on a cross for all his wrongs. See, this man who was a prisoner, who was actually put on the crucifix the same time uh, and the same moment that Jesus was put on the crucifix. And in this moment, Jesus turns his head whilst he's hanging on this cross And this prisoner knows that that he's actually next to this person who's rid himself into the world to be a savior to all. And he says this to Jesus, but Jesus also sees sees this mess of a man. This man who who hasn't been baptized before. This man who doesn't know his Bible. He he hasn't done all the, the Christian things. He is so, 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 so far from good enough. This man was like literally the most evil person in the world. That's why he was on the cross in the first place. And Jesus turns his head to this prisoner on the cross with some of his last breaths. And he says to him, you are coming with me. You are coming with me today. You will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in heaven. And this is kind of amazing. This is this is amazing. This is unreal. This is almost too good to be true part of the Christian message. That there could be a God who wrote himself into the mess, your messy life where you have lied to people that you actually really care about and you don't know why you can't stop. 
This is a God who actually wrote himself into the mess where you dug a hole deeper and deeper for yourself and you still don't really know how to find your way out of it. This mess has left you feeling really anxious, a little bit worried, but also really lonely and actually just upset. And you can't share that with anyone because if you do, they might see and they might judge you and there is a fear that they will define you as your mess. This is the mess where you don't see there ever being a clarity. A mess where you don't ever see the end result ever being any kind of peace. What we see in all these stories, all these conversations that Jesus had with people, is that Jesus offered himself as a solution to the mess. That regardless of your mess, the arrival of Jesus into the world offers a solution. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn your mess, but to offer himself as the solution to your mess. Jesus offered himself as the solution to your mess. He says, look at me, come down to me, come close to me. He says, you are coming with me. And Jesus told people, if you've created a mess that has left you in the dark, then here's your way out. And we see in that same account written by one of Jesus' disciples, John, that, that Jesus spoke to a group of people once. And he said this, he said this to them. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have a light that leads to life. That Jesus says, if you follow me, which, which means since you weren't following Jesus in to your mess in the first place. It's time to begin to follow someone else, not just something anymore to get yourself out. If you follow me, then, then even if maybe you have not been a Christian, maybe you've, uh, maybe you've not been a theist, maybe you've not even believed in God or even questioned the existence of a creator of the universe, but here in your mess, in this moment, in just the giant mess of things that are happening in the world around you, but also the private world within you, Jesus says, you can follow me. That in your darkness, I'm the light of the world. And it's in these messes that can't be hidden or avoided or kind of fixed quickly that we want or all want a quick fix. You know, there's situations where we have a mess. We call RACQ. They tell us what's wrong. They come along. They fix the mess. We say thanks. And then we tell them, well, I'll call again if anything else goes wrong next time. See you later. But you see, your heavenly father, your heavenly father loves you too much to allow you to have a quick fix that will put you right back in the situation that you were in before. He wants something so much more for you than just fixing your mess temporarily. He promises something more. He promises a light that leads to life, a light that leads to a clarity, to a purpose, to a meaning, to a peace, a light that leads to light, a solution, a peace. Not just a do-over, but a light that reveals a brand new starting point, new life. How? He points it out so clearly. Look at me. Come down to me. Come close to me. You are coming with me. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus said, I'm going I'm to tell you how to get out. I'm going to tell you how to follow the light of the world. I'm going to tell you how to live a life with fewer regrets and much better decisions. Talking to a mass group of people, Jesus once said these words. He says, everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who built his house or her house on the sand. See, he could have said in this moment that, that anyone or, or everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is going to end up in a mess, but he didn't. 
He said foolish. And then Jesus goes on to say that everyone who hears these words of mine and then puts them into practice is like a wise person who built his or her house on rock. That the rain can come down, he continues to say. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The following Jesus begins with this declaration, which requires a lot of humility. Actually requires saying that I'm actually not completely in control of every aspect of my life. And sometimes the, the very thing we crave the most, control over every aspect of our life, seems to be the very thing that can cause us so much anxiousness as well. And, and we know just in the circumstance that our world is in right now that that couldn't be more true. But Jesus says that, that following him requires this declaration that, God, I have built my house on sand <laughs> and I'm reaping what I've sown. That, that God, I've, I've built my finances, I've built my relationships, my friendships, maybe even my marriage, I've built this, this academic uh, pursuits of mine. I've, I've built my idea of career and success and my profession. I've built these areas of my life on something that doesn't last. It isn't working. And I can see that now. My, my house is actually tumbling down. And maybe it's got a great exterior and people just see that. But the interior, things are peeling away around me. And, and God, I actually need you. And listen, I, I'm tempted to, to want to treat you like RACQ. I, I kind of do want that quick fix, but I need that thing that you offer. I need that solution that you offer. I need yourself. And here's the thing that we miss if we kind of just skim through what Jesus says in this moment. Because there's a word in there that's really key for us to know and learn. And the word is this. The word is built. The word is built that this is a process that this is not an overnight fix following Jesus, that you can't pray your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into. You can't pray and confess your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into, but you can follow your way out. That you can make a decision to not hide and not avoid, and not just DIY fix your mess every time and get to the point where you're so tired and get to a point where you're so fatigued that, that you just feel so frazzled, you feel so overwhelmed that you don't even know how to have control over your life anymore, that things become so overwhelming that you get to a pot, get to a spot where you just feel like you're being swallowed. So Jesus says in those moments, follow me out. I am the light of the world. We love to do this thing at Beyond called For Monday. And this is kind of like our application part of our conversation. Because we love to say, what's the point in being a part of church on Sunday if it's not going to change you? And it's not going to impact you for Monday. So this week's for Monday is this. It comes in the form of a decision. It comes in the form of you actually taking some first steps. The for Monday for this Sunday in part two is to follow your way out of the mess. To follow your way out of the mess. You would know if you've ever been lost before. If you've ever had a child that has gotten lost before, it is a scary time. They either need someone to find that they can follow out. Or if you are in the dark, you need someone who has a light that you can follow out of the dark. This week's Four Monday is to follow your way out of the mess and take those first steps. And here's why. Here's why. Because Jesus didn't come to simply contain the mess. Jesus didn't write himself into the timeline of history just to contain our mess. He didn't come to contain us. 
that following Jesus isn't meant to be shame-based religion that has more to do with restrictions and more to do with limitations than it does with actually being set free and enjoying a life of peace that your heavenly father invites you to follow him out, to follow Jesus out of your mess, that you cannot pray your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into, but you can follow your way out. And God, God will meet you in the mess. That he is not offended by you. He's not here to condemn you. That he sees your mess as an opportunity for you to actually invite him in. That Jesus came to free us from our mess. We're really excited because this is exactly what we're going to explore more of next week, exactly what this life looks like for us and what the next steps are that we can take to when it comes to actually following Jesus out of our mess. In the meantime, maybe maybe to, tonight or, or this morning across our AM and, and PM services as you're tuning in, maybe for you, you've actually got some messes in your life right now and you just need that, that brand new start. And maybe for you, it's not even life change that you need. It's not a new reputation you actually know that within you, you actually need uh, just a brand new beginning. You need a brand new starting point. And the great thing that we see in the life of Jesus and how he did relationship with people and the stories of people that he actually had conversation with that followed him, but also the stories of people within the local church is that when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, it's not just about entering into life change and experiencing life change. It's about experiencing life transformation. So I'd love to pray Now, with those of you who maybe within your heart know that you actually need that brand new starting point, that you're ready to actually follow your way out and accept that invitation that Jesus offers. That's the prayer I'd love to invite us into tonight. And it's really simple. I'm going to say just some things. We're just entering into a conversation with God. And so, you know, when it comes to prayer, it really is. It's a conversation with God because God doesn't care about our, our performance or our perfection. He cares more about our heart's attention. So in this time, if you just want to repeat and say some of the things in your heart, you can just be looking at the screen that you're looking at right now. You can have your eyes open as well. It doesn't need to be weird, but just repeat some of the things within these, uh, some of these words within your heart. And let's wrap up in prayer together and do that for those of you who are looking for a way out, who are looking for a brand new beginning. Let's pray. God, we do. Father, we know that in our life, we've made mistakes. God, we know we have said things and we have done things that we knew would actually hurt people. Lord, we know that there are times when we haven't said the words or haven't thought about asking the words of what does love require of me? God, we know that we are not perfect. But Father, we thank you that when you sent Jesus into the world, you actually offered a brand new starting point. You offered a brand new beginning. So God, we pray in the darkness and the chaos of everything happening in our world that we can turn to you Father, we pray for your courage. We pray for faith as we step out to actually follow you as the light of the world. God, we pass over our burdens. And Father, we give you thanks for the things in our life that you've gifted us with. We pray these things in your name. Amen.